0: Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Alone, when I am alone. When Give me Jesus.
1: The great hymn writer Fanny Crosby wrote these words. She said, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years, the same. Yes, take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be. Until with clearer, brighter vision, face to face,
0: my Lord, I see. When I come to die, when i come to die when i come to die give me jesus give me jesus give me jesus Jesus. Have all this world. You can have all this world. You can have all this world. But give me, give me, Jesus.
1: Amen. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there are so many voices, so many causes, so many efforts, all competing for our time, for our attention, for our focus, for our footsteps. Help us to remember what really matters. This world is like the fleeting wind, There's nothing here worth capturing our hearts. We want Jesus and Jesus only. At every stage in our lives and at every turn, we want to put Christ as the center of our focus and the first priority of our lives. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Lord, we pray that you will visit with us now. Bless our study of your word and. Help us to open our hearts to listen to and receive what you have prepared for us. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. A story first. The Coca-Cola Company had always maintained the lion's share of the cola market, easily outselling Pepsi 5 to 1 since the 1950s. But something happened, a genius marketing campaign from Pepsi in the 1980s positioned the newcomer as the young person's drink. Right? You might remember, the choice of a new generation. Pepsi pulled out all the stops, Super Bowl commercials, celebrity spokespeople, hip advertising music, poking fun at Coke for being the drink of an older generation. And by the early 80s, Coke had lost its grip on the soda market and only controlled 24% of the market share, which was unheard of for Coke. So the Coca-Cola company had to make a move, especially since time and time again, a sweeter tasting Pepsi slayed Coke in the the clever and blind and very public Pepsi challenge. So what did Coca-Cola do? They hired a marketing research firm for $4 million to advise them on how to successfully compete and win against Pepsi well the firm's advice after some study was for coca-cola to come up with a new formula a new coke formula that consumers would prefer over both old coke and over Pepsi so coca-cola listened to the advice they worked hard they came up with a new and improved sweeter coke formula and they called it new coke All right, the marketing research was completed after testing the new Coke formula on about 200,000 subjects. The firm concluded that Coke had come up with a winner. They came up with a drink that beat Pepsi and old Coke time and time again. In fact, the firm also advised that the research was so conclusive that Coca-Cola shouldn't even bother producing the old formula anymore. So therefore, when it finally went to market in 1985, the the company felt confident enough in the research numbers and the advice, professional advice, they'd received to simultaneously end old Coke production. They even took out commercials to prove it. Coca-Cola was betting the company on new Coke and the marketing advice it had so carefully followed. So there it was, it went to market and the result Consumers hated it. (laughs) Within the first few weeks of release, Coca-Cola fielded as many as 400,000 angry phone calls and letters as Coke drinkers professed their detest with the new product. Market share began to plummet from its already low level. It was a mistake of massive proportions. And in less than three months, new Coke was pulled off the shelves, and old Coke was rebranded as Coca-Cola Classic, It was back, and after the historic failure, Coca-Cola was left with over 30 million dollars in unwanted new Coke concentrate. It took the company years to overcome the public perception, the the market share, and the financial impact of listening to the wrong advice. It happens, doesn't it? There's so many voices. So many voices around us, so many opinions, so many people trying to get us to follow their way, to follow their advice, that it can become easy to choose the wrong advice, to go the wrong way, to listen to the wrong voice. It often leads to failure, defeat, pain, and loss, but sometimes the results can be tragic. The Bible's full of stories about people who followed the wrong voice, who missed God's blessing and and who ruined their lives. Right? We remember the first generation of Israel, they chose to listen to the ten voices of doubt instead of the two voices of faith in Joshua and Caleb. And what happened? As a result, they missed out on the promised land and they wandered the desert until their death. King David listened to the voice of his lust, and he had a man killed so he could have his wife. As a result, it cost him the life of his infant son. And everyone knows how Adam and Eve listened to the voice of Satan and disobeyed God's law, bringing ruin and sin upon all of creation. The point is clear. The voice you listen to will determine the success or failure of your life. Nowhere is this point more vividly clearly and yet tragically illustrated than the story in Scripture of an unnamed prophet of God from Judah, a prophet who listened to the wrong voice. It's a curious story. And turn with me to our Scripture reference this morning, 1 Kings chapter 13, or look up at the video screens. For a bit of context, this chapter is bookended with the evil deeds of King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam, who rebelled against King Solomon and caused the split of Israel into the northern region, which retained the name Israel, and the southern region, the southern kingdom, Judah. Jeroboam went on to introduce idol worship, namely calf worship, to the nation of Israel, thus causing the exodus of all the priests and prophets of God to Judah. They left Israel, they moved to Judah where God was still being honored, where he was still being worshiped. And this is the story of one such prophet from Judah who came to Jeroboam with a stern warning from God. Let's read. 1 Kings 13, verse 1. As Jeroboam is in the temple about to offer sacrifices to his idols. Verse 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar! altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me for a meal, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. So this establishes this man of God as a forthright man, sincerely seeking to do God's will. We don't know his name. We'll refer to him as the young prophet. God had given him a clear command, right? Not to defile himself by partaking of anything or fellowshipping with anyone of the land. The command from the Lord was unmistakable. This prophet would not disobey the Lord even when requested to do so by the king. He was resolved and steadfast in his obedience and faithfulness to God. Great start, huh? He couldn't be bribed, he couldn't be bought. But sadly, he could be fooled as something goes terribly wrong. Let's keep reading verse 11. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. And their father asked them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. Here's where it gets dicey. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, this is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. That would have shaken me up right there. But the man finished his meal. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking... The prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body lying there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And they did so. Then he went out and found the body lying on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he... He laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. What a sad ending. What a sad ending for this young prophet And the lesson is clear, be careful who you listen to. Don't be fooled. He listened to the wrong voice and it had tragic consequences. We can find ourselves in the same situation. So many voices, there are so many opinions, so much advice around us. And and when so much is at stake, it can seem overwhelming and, and, and even confusing. And to make matters worse, so often advice that is certainly not meant for our good is packaged so beautifully. Such a a seemingly kind, godly, and practical way that it seems so right, right? Look at the advice presented to the young prophet by the old prophet. First, the advice came from a seemingly older, wiser, godly prophet. He said, I too am a prophet. Second, it, it sounded so good. So practical and beneficial, come, fellowship with me, rest, eat, drink, recharge. Right? The offer met the needs of the traveler. And third, the advice seemed to come from a spiritual source. An angel of the Lord told me. So perhaps God was delivering a new command through this seasoned old prophet. What a lovely package for destruction. Oh, come on, there's no way. There's no way you can blame that poor young prophet. He he couldn't have known it's a trap. His heart was in the right place. It's just too confusing to discern sometimes. Friend, we don't have a God of confusion. Isaiah 30, 21 reminds us, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God makes it clear to us if we're carefully listening. Today, we're going to look at three things. Three things which we should carefully consider and analyze to help us determine right counsel from wrong counsel, the right voice from the wrong voice. So, our first point the first thing we should consider and analyze in our discernment the messenger. And you know, I hear it said all too often. Ignore the messenger and just accept the message. Overlook the, the flaws of the messenger and just listen to what they're saying. Believe the message. Wrong. You can't separate the two. The reliability, the reputation, and the character of the messenger have to be taken into account before we can accept the message. Joseph Barber Lightfoot said, not only must the message be correctly delivered, but the messenger himself must be such as to recommend it to acceptance. Credibility. Right, if I'm up here espousing to you fitness advice, run. (laughs) If a bankrupt gambler is dishing out financial advice, run. If a failed business CEO is trying to tell you how to run your company, run. And likewise, if someone is, is clearly living against God and living a life outside of God's will and, and giving you spiritual counsel, run. In the case of the old prophet, however, he seemed so good. We know he was of, of old age, and he was referred to as a prophet. So maybe at one point in his life, he, he served the Lord. And by the end of the chapter, he seems to have finally been re-enlightened and reawakened so he had a history of perceived godliness and beyond that he seemed well-intentioned he seemed so right with god he spoke so kindly he spoke good-sounding words he said the right things right friend if we measure someone only by their own words guess what everyone comes across as a saint if we measure them by their past We take no account of where they're at right now. And and it cuts both ways. We can judge someone wrongly based on their past for bad things they no longer do. And, And we can admire someone wrongly for their past for good things that they no longer do. The key is this. Look at their lives today. So what do we know about this old prophet? What should the traveling man of God have asked himself, first, why is this guy here? Jeroboam ran out all the priests and prophets of God when he introduced idol worship. They all left the now godless Israel, and they returned to Judah. Why is this guy still here? He wasn't passing through like the young prophet, right? He lived there. He said, come back to my house. He wasn't found where God wanted him to be. The fact of the matter was that he found favor with Jeroboam, right, the evil king. So the lesson for us is consider the alliances of those you are following. With whom do they stand? The prophet stayed in Israel because he tolerated idol worship. And because he tolerated the idol worship, he found favor with King Jeroboam. And I'm sure Jeroboam must have justified his tolerance of idol worship with men like these, right? Prophets, so-called prophets. So if this prophet is standing with the king and, and, and I'm introducing idol worship, how bad can it be? This guy's with me. And and likewise, I'm sure the old prophet did the same justification. Well, God God allowed this man to be king, so I stand with him. How bad can his decision be? We do this a lot, don't we? We do this. We justify our lives based on association. If someone godly agrees with or tolerates my lifestyle with my life, with my decisions, with my sin, then it must be okay. Guess what? If someone godly agrees with your sin, then they're not godly. Their association with you doesn't make you okay. It makes them not okay. Ask enough people, and you know what? Eventually, you'll find someone who agrees with you. And what do we do? We continue to lower our standard. Well, you know, the guy next to me does the same thing. And then it gets lower still after that. You know, I'm sure there's many people in the world who do far worse. And our standard continues to sink. Friend, our standard should be the standard that God sets. Not what we see around us. Not what we desire to do. Not what we think is right or we think we want or, or not what or who we can find around us to agree with us. Raise the bar. Raise the standard. Ted Koppel of ABC Nightline famously said one night that we as a nation have continued to lower our standards of right and wrong. Today, he said, it's become shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Be promiscuous whenever and with whomever you wish, but protect yourself. No, he said, the answer is no, not because it isn't cool or smart or because you might wind up in jail or dying in the AIDS ward, but because it's wrong. What Moses brought down, he said, from Mount Sinai were not the Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. The old prophet had clearly lost his moral compass, and he disregarded the standard that God had commanded, and we have further evidence of this man's acceptance of idol worship. How did he know about what took place at that altar? Right, I would have asked if I was the old prophet. How did you know? Well, his sons were there. His sons were at the altar with Jeroboam when sacrifices were being made to the idols. And guess what? He was okay with that. So it's not enough to look at the old prophet's life. Look at the lives he looks over. Look at the lives he endorses. It was clear these were not God-fearing people based on their actions. Forget their words. Historian Josephus analyzed this man so well. He said, The man can hardly have been a true prophet of Jehovah, or he would not have countenanced, even by the presence of his sons, the calf worship which God had forbidden. His favor with the king and his desire to retain it are at the heart of his intentions." His intentions were devious. Some new prophet of God came and impressed the king. I don't want him to surpass me. His lie was premeditated. And then after the man of God is killed for his disobedience, he retrieves the body and mourns over him. He continues to perpetuate a sham. And that's what this world will do, isn't it? That's what this world will do to us. It will drag you down to the gutter It will cause your demise and then mourn your fall. Oh, poor guy. But the package, the package comes so persuasively presented, doesn't it? The devil never throws at you something you would obviously recognize, right? If a hate-spewing, God-hating person came to try and talk you out of what you believe, you'd see him coming a mile away. You'd reject his advice, his opinions, anything he said. But Satan never uses that tactic. People are most likely to be persuaded when they perceive that the communicator is in some way similar to themselves, right? Their effectiveness is increased when they express to you some views that you share. And when there's some elements of truth that you recognize, that's the most dangerous voice. The lie that sounds so close to truth. It has elements of truth mixed in. And and the truths they espouse sound so good. You'll hear messages of, of tolerance and love and forgiveness, which are all good things, but all in the name of love and feeling good. Don't judge. Don't judge right from wrong. Blur the lines. Accept anything and everything. Friend, don't be fooled. Their intention is never to point you to Christ, it's to bring you to their level. There's a a humorous bumper sticker that you may see which says, Don't follow me, I'm lost. And, And I wish there was a sticker we could put on people that gave the same warning. The problem is so few would admit to it. No one wants to admit to being lost. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing and and I'll try to influence and persuade as many people as possible to follow along because that will justify my path. If only this young prophet could have set aside the words of the old prophet and looked closely at his life, his actions, his character, his family, his alliances, and his endorsements, he would never have bothered even listening to the man's words. Look at the fruit of his life before you listen to his words. Matthew 715 to 20 reminds us, Watch out. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's a lesson for us, recognize them. How often we entertain the words, the counsel, the advice of the world from those we should not be listening to. Recognize them, look at their fruits, look at their lives, look at their character, look at their alliances, look at their stands long before you listen to their words. Amen? That's our first point. Analyze the messenger. Our second point, analyze the message. The message here was quite simple and so seemingly harmless. Come, fellowship with me. Break bread and have a drink. What could be wrong with that? Plenty. Whenever we hear a voice, an opinion, whenever we receive advice, we should always ask whether it aligns with God's word. We know God gave this man a very specific command to follow. He knew it. He said it in verse 9 and again in 16 and 17. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. He obeyed God even when, when tempted to do so, even when he heard a differing opinion, as long as that voice came from the evil king. But later it comes from an apparently godly person, and he gives in and disobeys God. And the lesson for us here is an important one. It doesn't matter who. No matter who is giving you counsel or advice, if it does not adhere to the word of God, don't listen to it for a second. Doesn't matter how subtly off it is. Doesn't matter how good it may sound. How reasonable it may be. How convenient it is. How needed it is. How desirable it is. Doesn't matter how nicely it's delivered. How wonderful the messenger may be. If it is contrary to what you know is true in God's word, there's nothing in this world that would make it worth following. Weed out the voices that oppose God's word. That's clear. Throw out the opinions that are in opposition of God's principles. If you're here today, if you've been a member of this assembly for any length of time, you've attended Bible studies, prayer meetings, you've heard devotions, sermons, seminars, you're well taught. You know better. You have scriptural knowledge. You've heard God's word. You know God's principles. You can't claim ignorance when you're faced with opposing opinions and conflicting advice, it should be second nature to measure them against the standard of God's word. Hold them up to the light. In the United States uh, judicial system, the highest court in the land is the Supreme Court, right? Once your case is heard and decided upon there, that's it. There's no higher court of appeal. There's nowhere else you can take your case. In the same fashion, the Word of God is the Supreme Court of all Supreme Courts. It's the end of all ends. The Word of God stands absolute and unchangeable. The Word of God stands written beyond any alteration or recall. The Word of God is even more permanent than our universe. Even though the heavens and the earth shall pass away, nothing from this book will pass away until everything it says has come to pass. St. Augustine said this, He said, we must surrender ourselves to the authority of the Holy Scriptures, for it can neither mislead nor be misled. One who uses the Bible as his guide will never lose his sense of direction. That's a great truth. The young prophet listened to a voice that directly conflicted with what God had told him. Well, perhaps he thought God's command had changed. God's commands don't change. Perhaps he thought God changed his mind. God doesn't change his mind. But perhaps he thought God's command only applied when he was in the temple or, or that it didn't apply in regards to a fellow prophet. Hmm. God's commands apply equally for everyone, everywhere, and for always. We don't change his word, we don't alter his word, we, we don't bend his word. We must simply follow. We must simply follow in obedience. And above all the other voices, above all the other noise, above all the other opinions, listen to his voice and follow him alone. Amen? First, we must analyze the messenger. Second, we must analyze the message. And our third point, we must analyze the source. And we return again to verse 9. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord... You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. What was the source of this man's direction? The word of the Lord. The command came directly from the Lord. Now when he was approached by the old prophet later in the chapter, what do we read was the source of the prophet's advice. Verse 18, An angel said to me by the word of the Lord, God told an angel to tell me to tell you Now, if God spoke to me, either audibly or, or through his word, through scripture, or through, through the counsel of counselors he has placed in my life, not, not the ones of my own choosing or the ones who suddenly show up with some r- sudden revelation. If God has spoken to me to do something, I don't care if you tell me an angel told you to tell me something contrary. I don't care what third-party source you're delivering a message to me from. I don't care whose advice you're transferring to me. I don't care if Moses shows up to advise me differently. If the voice I hear is contrary to the voice I know, I'm not listening. What does that Casting Crowns song say? The voice of truth tells me a different story. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. What gospel are you listening to? It's a good question. The gospel of tolerance, the gospel of reckless freedom, the gospel of no accountability, the gospel of do whatever makes you feel good. What is the source of that message? From where does it originate? When you strip it down, what was the voice telling the man of God to do? It was telling the man of God to disobey what God had commanded him. That was the heart of the message. And where does the message of disobedience to God originate? It wasn't from an angel. Well, a fallen angel. It was from the devil himself. What is the essence of the voice you hear? What is the heart of the intentions, the heart of the story? What is it telling you to do and from where does that message originate? And in the end, this young prophet of God listened to the wrong voice and it would tragically prove to be the last voice he listened to. It led to his demise. It led to his death. God dealt swiftly and sternly with him. Now some people say that the the punishment didn't fit the crime. But God's ways are not our ways. God takes disobedience very, very seriously. James 4.17 warns us, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We can't claim ignorance. We know better. We can't claim we were fooled. We must be wise enough to discern truth from lies. Allowing ourselves to be deceived is not a valid excuse. He knew the truth. He knew what he should do, and yet he allowed himself to be swayed away from it. Matthew Henry comments on this. He says, believers are most in danger of being drawn from their duty by plausible pretenses of holiness. We may wonder why the wicked prophet went unpunished while the holy man of God was suddenly and severely punished. What shall we make of this? The judgments of God are beyond our power to fathom and there is a judgment to come. Nothing can excuse any act of willful disobedience. This shows what they may expect who hearken to the great deceiver. Be careful who you listen to. Friend, may we not be deceived by beautifully packaged lies. May we not be pulled into willful disobedience against the Lord. May we hold hard and fast to the truths we know. And may we listen only to the voice we know. You know, I've quoted many sources throughout my sermons. But I've not as of yet quoted a Jedi master. So here goes. Yoda in The Last Jedi said it better than I've ever heard. The greatest thing we can teach the next generation isn't from our successes, but from our failures. It's so true. We can learn a lot from the failures of this young prophet of God. He failed to analyze the message, he failed to analyze the messenger, and he failed to analyze the source. Let us be wise enough Wise enough to always filter the voices we hear by analyzing these three things. When we consider the messenger, the character, the actions, the alliances and the stands, when we consider the message and hold it up to the light, the standard, the truth of God's word, and when we consider the source, the heart of where the message comes from and originates, we will be sure to discern the wrong voice from the right voice. So in closing, let me ask you. Dear friend, whose voice are you listening to today? Are you listening to the voice of compromise that's telling you to stray from what you know is true? Are you listening to the voice of fear in your life, fear at every mountain and and every what if that you may face? Are you listening to the voice of doubt, the voice that says God doesn't care, God isn't listening, God can't do it, when he's proven himself to you time and time again? Are you listening to the voice of anger, or of lust, or of greed to drive your priorities and decisions in life? If so, you will find nothing but heartache, defeat, and failure. God wants so much more for you. Tune out all that noise. Tune out all those voices, still yourself enough To hear his still, small voice. To hear his command to you. To hear that voice that says, keep going. You can make it. The voice that says, keep believing. Hold on. The voice that says, don't fear. I'm here. I care. I'll carry you. Listen to his voice. Believe him above all else. And hold on with firm resolve to the truth of his word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we earnestly seek to listen only to your voice in our lives. Give us wisdom, Lord. We need it. Give us wisdom and discernment to be able to weed out the voices of this world that bring nothing but noise and ultimate destruction in our lives. Help us to reject the voices of of, of compromise of disobedience, of lust, of greed, of discontentment, of fear. Help us reject anything that stands in opposition to what you want us to do and how you want us to live. Give us wisdom, Father, to be careful. Give us wisdom to carefully consider the messenger, the message, and the source of every advice, every voice, and every opinion thrown our way. We choose to listen and believe only your voice, Lord. Until the day we will see you face to face and throw ourselves in awe and worship at the feet of the one who has so lovingly guided our lives. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.